Amen. Thank you, guys. You know, most of us would agree that God's Word does speak. Would you agree with that? Say amen. But you know, this morning, the real question is whether or not we receive and welcome into our lives what God's Word is teaching. You know, Jesus tells us literally in Luke's gospel in chapter 8 that there are many people who listen to the word of God, but they do not receive it into their hearts. In fact, he says only one out of four individuals who hear the word preached will actually receive it. So take that into consideration for just a moment. Let's pretend that we preach the gospel or preach the truth to about a thousand people on a Sunday. That means that those thousand individuals who hear the truth, of them only about 250 actually receive the truth in their life. That is 750 come in, listen, but they do not receive the word of the Lord. Now this morning we're going to look at a parable and we're going to find that the issue is not necessarily with the farmer who is throwing out the seed of the word of God, but the issue actually lies with the soil or the condition of our hearts. So if you got your Bible with me, turn to Luke's gospel and chapter 8 this morning. And as you turn, be prepared to identify the condition of your own heart this morning, where you are currently in your walk with the Lord. And so this morning, Luke's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, you've got it there in front of you. Say amen. And then we invite you to go ahead and stand with me in honor of God's word. We'll begin in verse 1. And if you are visiting, we're glad you're here. We've been going verse by verse through Luke's gospel. And so we'll continue that throughout the summer and uh, looking forward to what God's going to continue to teach us. Luke's gospel, chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, soon afterwards, Jesus began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary of whom uh, was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Johanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's servant, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. Now listen closely, here's the parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And then Jesus said, verse 10, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, but then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. For they believe for a while, and in a time of temptation they fall away. Verse 14, the seed which fell among the thorns, well, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Let's bow together. 
Father, it's a great privilege, once again, to open up the Scripture, your inerrant Word. I pray, God, you would use it this morning to speak to every individual who is in the building. God, use your Word to draw some to salvation. And for those who have a relationship with you, may this message, may this parable be a source of encouragement to them as they faithfully share the good news of the gospel. So, Father, I pray that by your Spirit, you'd speak through me today and get all the honor for it. In Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And everybody said, Amen. And you can be seated. Well, this morning, if we were in a Gardening 101 class, we might hear the professor begin his discourse in this particular manner. He would say, if a person desires to plant a garden, where there has to be a farmer, there has to be some seed, and then there also must be good soil. One of the most vital elements of a fruitful garden is the condition of the soil. The reason many gardens fail is not because there was no faithful farmer or a lack of good seed. The reason many gardens fail is because the soil was not properly cultivated and prepared. Well, in Jesus' parable, we discover that he is the primary farmer. The Word of God is the seed, and those who hear the Word of God are represented by the souls. Now, Jesus was describing to his listeners how the message of his kingdom would be received between the time frames of his kingdom, of his first coming and his second coming. So with that in mind, this parable serves as a source of great encouragement to all genuine followers of the Lord Jesus. Now think about it with me for just a moment. Why would this message, why would this parable be a source of encouragement to you and I as followers of Christ? Well, because the farmer not only is represented by Jesus, but the farmer also represents true disciples of the Lord who are sharing the gospel in this current age. You know, Paul the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 3 and 6, and he speaks as if he is a farmer, saying this, I planted. What he's saying is, I presented the gospel message. Then Apollos, he watered, but it was God who was causing all of the growth. So just as Paul saw himself as a farmer, you and I as disciples of Jesus should view our lives as farmers also. Chuck Swindoll has written this, and I quote, The farmer could be anyone. He could be a pastor, an evangelist, a writer, a Christian in the workplace, a teacher. Anyone who is communicating God's truth is a farmer. Success depends on the soil, not the sower. Now, listen closely. At the moment that we chose to give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and begin following him, you and I were given a bag of seed. In fact, imagine with me for just a moment in your mind's eye a farmer standing in a very large open field. He has tied to the side of his uh, leather belt a large burlap sack. And then over and over and often, you as a farmer, that farmer reaches down into that burlap sack and he pulls out a handful of seed and he broadcasts it uh, upon the soil where he is walking in the field. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, that imagery represents how you and I are to live. We are to walk 
in this life continually broadcasting the seed of God's Word to those with whom we come in contact. You see, the seed which is being broadcast is not just some ordinary seed. The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The seed is the word of the living Lord. And we must be aware that this seed, just like any seed, is actually very full of life. You know, I read on one occasion that they uh, were some archaeologists exploring a pyramid in which they had found a vase that was considered to be 3,000 years old. That's an old vase. They opened the vase and found some seed on the inside. So you can imagine how old the seed was. But then they took the seed, they planted it into the soil, and it produced life in only a matter of days. Now, there are some in our current culture who think the gospel message of Jesus Christ's death for sinners, his burial, and his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again is not practical. They think that it's antiquated or even outdated. However, I have found that whenever I cast the seed of the living Lord Jesus Christ, He always brings about life. He is in the process of literally using His Word to continue to transform your life as well as transform my life. You know, Peter recognized the life-giving power of the seed when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23. Listen to what he writes. He says, For you have been born again not of seed which is perishable, but that which is imperishable. That is, he says, here's how you've been born again, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, I don't think any of us would disagree that seed produces life. However, the seed needs soil upon which to fall. And that's where you and I come in to play in this parable. We could ask, what kind of soil are we? Or we could even go a step further and say, literally, what kind of attitude do you have whenever the Word of God is being proclaimed? What kind of attitude do you have toward the Word? Now, think with me for just a moment this morning. This was kind of the imagery that came to my mind as I was preparing to preach. I stand up here this morning, and it's an opportunity for me to throw out the seed of God's Word. The field, so to speak, is right out here in front of me. All of the soil is right out here. And the question is, what kind of soil are you? Will you receive the Word, or will you reject the Word? Now, the Lord speaks about four attitudes that come into response with the word of the living Lord. Four attitudes. So I want to look at those uh, pretty intently this morning, and I want to ask you to be honest with yourself to determine what kind of attitude you have. Well, the first kind of attitude is what we will call a hard heart. There are some who have a hard heart to the preaching of the word of the Lord. Now, Jesus speaks in verse 5. Look in your Bible. You got it there in front of you. Say yes. Verse 5. That was like eight of you. You got your Bible in front of you. Say yes. Verse 5, the scripture says, The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Now, Jesus goes on further and explains what he's talking about in verse 12, so drop your eyes down there. He says, Those beside the road are those who have heard. But then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Now stop there. Jesus describes a group of people who had the ability to hear the word of the Lord. However, they were unable to receive it because of the hardness of their heart. 
Now, the problem wasn't with their ears, but rather the problem was actually with their soil. It was with their heart. In his book, The Storyteller, Pastor David Dykes of Texas writes this, and I quote. He says, it's no surprise that the first soil in Jesus' story is about people who just do not get it. When it comes to hearing and understanding the Word of God, they don't get it. They consider themselves to be hard-hearted people. In fact, they can be some of the nicest people in your family, nicest people in your neighborhood, or even your workplace. But they simply aren't interested in the church, in religion, and they are especially not interested in the Word of God. Their heart is like a pathway. It's been trampled down until the dirt surrounding it is hard-packed, end quote. You know, we soon forget that as one who sows the seed of the Word of God, that he or she stands on the front lines of spiritual battle. In fact, as I stand here this morning and declare the Word of the Lord to you, there is no doubt that the Spirit of God is in the process of encouraging many of you to pay very close attention to what is being preached. However, there is also some of whom the devil like a ravenous bird is waiting for the word to fall upon the soil of your heart, and then he will sneak in, snatch it from your heart, and take it away. You know, I used to get really discouraged whenever I preached, whenever I would see someone sleeping while I preached. Are y'all out there say yes? If your husband's sleeping, you best wake him up now. Because I'm about to put him on front street. But anyway, so... Uh, Sleeping. I remember one old joker used to sleep when I preached. He used to make me so mad I would start yelling louder while I was preaching. Are y'all out there? I thought I'd wake him up. I didn't. That dude was almost dead. Y'all listening? <laughs> it used to bother me, though, because I began to wonder, what is the deal, man? I don't think I'm boring. I'm not bored with what the Word says. And so, man, I'm, you know, excited about what God's taught me. And so, you know, I, I'm out here preaching my, my heart out. But then it dawns on me as I study Scripture what is going on. Uh, the individual who basically is sleeping while the message is being delivered. Uh, the problem isn't behind the pulpit. The problem is actually in the pew. He is sitting there and darkness has cascaded around his life. And he is to a point where he is refusing. Listen, refusing to allow the word of light to penetrate his soul. You know what's interesting? Uh, Paul, you probably, this encouraged me. I ain't going to tell you a story. Y'all listening say yes? Paul the Apostle was preaching in the book of Acts, had an old joker sitting up in the top on a windowsill. He fell asleep. He fell down dead. That's in the Bible. And then Paul the Apostle went outside and saw the dead man and reached down and brought him back to life. Now, I'm just going to be honest. You fall asleep and you die while I'm preaching, you will stay dead. You deserve it. But listen, whenever you are delivering the truth of God's Word, and I would say that to some of you who are preparing for Vacation Bible School to be leaders, uh, you guys from Woodlands Camp, you're going to be investing in the lives of students all summer long, and you who are teachers in our small groups here, as you deliver the Word of God, you are standing on the front lines of a spiritual battle, and there is this battle being waged over the souls of men and women and teenagers and boys and girls. And you and I must understand that we cannot expect every person that we come into contact with to receive the Word of God and be radically transformed. In fact, 
Jesus teaches us that not everyone is very quick to receive the scripture. Now listen, as a preacher, as a teacher, that does not mean that we shirk our responsibility in studying and preparing and praying and being prepared to deliver the word. We must do this. I mean, that's why I love putting messages together on Monday. So tomorrow morning, I will get up and I will sit down with the next uh, text of scripture in Luke's gospel and I will spend my time there studying the word of the Lord. And my first prayer is, God, speak to me. I want to hear you talk. So change me through your word. And I'll sit there and I'll write it out. And when I'm done with it, man, now I'm sitting on it throughout the entirety of the week. So when Sunday morning rolls around, good night. I'm so fired up I can't hardly see straight. It's like I'm a pregnant woman about ready to give birth up here. And so now I deliver the word of God. Now once I let it go, it is now up to the soil to receive it or to reject it. All God has called me to do is throw out the seed, but I cannot make it grow. Only God can. And so that is where our faith is. That's why I can preach. And whether there's decisions or there's not decisions, I can continue to learn by God's grace to be faithful in preaching because this is what he's called me to do. You just throw out the seed, Levi. You just let it go and I'll take care of the rest. So that's what we are called to do as preachers. But you know, there are often times when you come to church, and you may be in the building this morning, and uh, I'm not trying to get all up in your face, or maybe I am, but you hear preaching week in, week out, every Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. I mean, all the time you hear preaching, but there is no impact made on your life. There is no life change occurring in your heart. What is the problem? Here's the problem. You are hard-hearted to the truths of God. And as a result, it's almost as if I would take seed this morning and throw it on this wooden stage and the seed would just bounce up. And so whenever the truths of God's word go out and they just bounce off of your heart, that's no indication that the preacher is not doing his job or the teacher is not being faithful or the uh, leader is not delivering the truth. That is indication that you have an issue and the scripture is bouncing off of your life. No change. Hard-hearted. And you know, people sit in church every single week who are hard-hearted. And as the scripture is being delivered, it falls upon your heart. And the Bible says that the devil reaches down in there and he snatches that truth away. Now think about that for just a moment. You hear the truth being presented and some old boy sits back there after he hears the gospel about how he needs to repent of his sin and place his faith in Jesus or else he'll go to hell for all of eternity. But he can have grace because Christ has come. He died for you, was buried and resurrected. And you hear that and it falls upon your heart, but then the devil swoops in. He says, you don't need that, man. You've, you've lived your whole life without this stuff. Don't you pay attention to him. Matter of fact, that stuff doesn't even apply to where you are right now. Snatches the word and you walk out of here harder than you were before you came in. But the enemy is at work. That's why it's a spiritual battle. That's why I prayed and often prayed that God would allow me when I'm preaching to see people as if they are on the, on the edge of eternity, hanging over hell's flames. That I want to encourage those people to wake up, man. Come to Christ before it's too late. 
That's why some people are like, good night, Levi, you preaching, you know, you got veins popping out of your neck and your face turns red. You, you got, that's right. It's called people are going to hell and nobody seems to care. But when we get into the scripture and find out what Jesus did, he was warning everybody. So any preacher worth his salt, any follower of Jesus worth his or her salt is going to warn people that they need to flee from the wrath that is to come and be saved in Christ. But there are some people that are like, so what, man? I don't care how loud you are. I want nothing to do with it. Well, you have a hard heart, sir. And in a moment, I'm going to share with you uh, what the Lord does with hard hearts. But let me give you the second attitude. Y'all still with me? Say yes. It's the shallow heart. Look at verse 6 in your Bible. Scripture says, Other seed fell on rocky soil, and soon uh, it grew up, and it withered away because it had no moisture. Now, in these particular days, there was a type of soil which was characterized by a thin layer of dirt. And underneath the thin layer of dirt was a slab of limestone. It was impossible to actually grow anything in this kind of soil. The shoots would actually spring up, but the roots could not go down. And Jesus goes on to explain this shallow soil in verse 13. He says, those on whom rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But these have no firm root. They believe for a little while. And then a time of temptation, they fall away. Now, Warren Wearsby writes, and I quote, he says, This soil illustrates the emotional hearer who quickly responds to the message, but his interest wanes and he does not continue, end quote. Now, there are some who will hear the gospel and they will be excited about its truth. In fact, they will be filled with joy. And the person hears the blessings of salvation and they're emotionally charged and they're fired up and they're like, man, I've got to have that, but it's only temporary. The scripture says it has no root. The initial joy is only a sprout. It never was the real deal, in other words. So how do you know it was not the real deal? Well, quite simply because when difficulties came, the genuineness of their faith proved to be false. See, as soon as pressure comes upon some individuals, as soon as oppression, somebody makes fun of you, as soon as the demands of being a true follower of Jesus Christ come, some people split and they run. Now, some of you this morning, you are hanging hopes of eternity with God in heaven on the fact that you were in a worship service one time and you got some goosebumps or you got a little bit excited, or you had this emotional high, and, and because of these goosebumps, you believe you are going to heaven. But you find that when life turns up the heat, you don't turn to Christ, you don't turn to His church, but when life turns up the heat, you find out whether or not your faith is really genuine. And oftentimes, these individuals take off who were shallow hearts. John tells us about these individuals in 1 John. He says, they went out from us because they were not of us. See, there are some, even since I've been here at Concord, who initially jump on the gospel with excitement. So they hear the truth, and they're like, man, that's exactly what I need. And they're so, I mean, fired up about it. But then... They quickly fell away. They're nowhere to be found. 
Now, this isn't because there hasn't been any follow-up. There's been follow-up. It's simply because they never truly received the word of the gospel. And that is exactly what Jesus gave us this parable for. To let you and I know that some will receive it with joy, but then they'll disappear. That isn't any indication that we're not seeking to make disciples everywhere. That's just a reminder that God's word is actually true. So some hear it, they're fired up about it, pressure comes in on them, they're like, I want none of this. And by the way, there was tons of folks following Jesus in the New Testament. Tons of them. Until Jesus turns around and says, hey, y'all going to follow me? You've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know how many split after that? The majority. It's like, what are, you, what are you talking about? We were with you, Lord, when you were feeding us on the side of the mountain. We were with you, Lord, when you were speaking those great truths. But you, you want us to do what? Yeah, we're out of here on that one. That's how it is. People come into a church setting like this, and they hear the truth of the gospel, and they run to it. They're like, man, that's what I want. I want to follow Christ. But then all of a sudden you realize that following Christ means you repent of your sin and trust Jesus. You don't grab Jesus and pull him in the midst of your extracurricular activities. Man, Jesus is not something that just changes your Sunday. Jesus changes your whole life. As a matter of fact, that's what Paul said. He's like this. Jesus is my life. Everything I do revolves around Christ. Shallow hearts, though. They'll be fired up until it gets a little difficult. Then they roll out. And uh, used to, you know, as a, in, as a preacher, I'd get discouraged about that too. We'd see about, you know, 10, let's say just say 10 folks come forward and they all, you know, give their heart to Jesus. And then, you know, time goes by and we can only find about six of them. What happened to the other four? Are y'all out there say yes? What happened to them? Shallow hearts. Y'all still my friends out there? I'm going to preach whether you want me to or not, all right? I better go on to the third heart. Y'all still with me? Third heart is the choking heart. Uh, very simply, look in verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Jesus explains this seed in verse 14. He says, The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Now, Jesus explains a person who hears the word but then carries on with their life. These are marked by their sentimental devotion to God. That is, matter of fact, if you were to ask them whether or not they knew God, I believe they'd say, oh yeah, man, I know the Lord. But their devotion is not to God. Their devotion is to what the world has to offer them. See, Jesus describes uh, three major realities that choke out the Word of God in a person's life. Uh, first, notice he says they are consumed with worries. This describes a person who is overrun by the fear of losing something. And then secondly, they're consumed with riches. Uh, this describes a relentless pursuit of wealth. They want something. Paul wrote to Timothy, and he encouraged young Timothy to preach to his church about individuals who were literally, and he gives this imagery, they were reaching out with every fiber of their being, trying to grab some more cash and what life had to offer and bring it into themselves. That was their pursuit, reaching out. And then thirdly, he says they were consumed with pleasures of this life. 
Now the word is in the Greek uh, New Testament, the word for pleasure is hedony, where we get the English word hedonism. It speaks of living the desires of the flesh, living for the desires of the flesh, desire to have what is ungodly. So listen to this. I want you to look at me real quick. Eyeball to eyeball. Look at me. There are individuals, while I am preaching, they cannot reach out and embrace the gospel, they cannot reach out and embrace the Son of God and pull Him close because their hands are too busy trying to hold on to something they already have or their hands are too busy trying to reach out and grab something that they so desperately desire or their hands are being given over to acts of ungodliness. And as a result, they're reaching out this way and they cannot reach out and take hold of Christ because their hands are too busy in what the world has to offer. But what is interesting is there are people who come to church who've been living like this for years, man, reaching out for what the world has to offer. And then you get to them and you're like, hey, man, if you died right now, you think you'd go to heaven? Yes, I would. Tell me why. Jesus is my Lord. Hey, look at the preacher just a moment. Jesus said it like this. There'll be many who call me Lord, Lord, who will not inherit the kingdom of God. So just because you said it with your mouth, don't make it so. There is a change in the life of a person who genuinely trusts Christ and begins to follow him. And if there is no change, then there is no Christ. So this kind of heart can attend church Sunday after Sunday, but the absence of fruit shows there's no genuine root. You know what? I I really do. I believe that this third soil uh, makes up the majority of people who never receive the gospel genuinely. They're so busy, caught up with what the world has to offer. Now, that's three attitudes. You've got a hard heart. Uh, some people have a shallow heart. Some people have a choking heart. But then there's a third or fourth heart. Let me give that to you. Are y'all still with me? Say yes. And that is the surrendered heart. Look at your Bible again, verse 8. Uh, the scripture says, Other seed fell into the good soil, and it grew up. And it produced a crop, notice this, a hundred times as great. Now, please notice here that the seed which fell upon the good soil produced a crop. When seed meets the right kind of soil, it always produces a crop. Jesus explains this in verse 15. Look at your Bible. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, there are some, when they hear the word of God, they immediately, listen, they immediately take possession of it. They own it in their heart to a point it is, it is so owned by them, you can't tell whether or not they own it or it owns them. They are at one with the truth. They surrender to the truth of God. And as a direct result, listen to the preacher, as a direct result, they bear fruit in their life. You say, well, what kind of fruit are you talking about? Well, genuine converts will bear the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. All of these things will begin to show up in your life as you follow Jesus. It also will bear the fruit of a desire to serve Christ within the context of his local body. Please listen to the preacher, please. 
There are some individuals who claim to know Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a genuine convert, God, upon the moment you came to faith in Jesus, deposited himself in you by the Holy Spirit, and he also gave you a spiritual gift to exercise within the body of Christ. So if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God will give you an inner desire to serve within the body. If that inner desire is nowhere to be found, you might need to do what Paul the Apostle says, examine yourself to see whether or not you are genuinely of the faith. God gives you that desire. Now, Paul the Apostle uh, speaks as well, but in Romans 10, 9 through 10, talking about how we receive the word, listen to what he says. He says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart, there's the soul, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness. With the mouth, one confesses, resulting in salvation. Now, those who are genuine converts to Jesus Christ always, are y'all listening? Say yes. No, I'm serious. Are y'all listening? Say yes. yes. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. Genuine converts to Christ always bear fruit in keeping with their repentance. If there is no fruit, there is no root, man. Y'all still with me? Say yes. So, um, double check, triple check if you must, to be certain you have surrendered to Christ. Now, what Jesus does with this parable is really issue a warning to us. And I skipped a couple of verses, but I'm going to come back to them. Look at verse 8. Listen, look at what he says. He, he, Jesus says it like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Oh, that's Jesus' way of saying, uh, give me your eyeballs. Are y'all with me? He's like, you need to pay attention. But what is awesome here is really... It is a warning to the people to pay attention to how they actually listen to the Word. Pay attention to how you listen to the Word. Those who receive the Word of God would be granted the opportunity to experience more light from God's Word. In other words, as you reach out and you embrace Jesus and begin to follow Him, and as you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, the more truth that you grasp and pull into your life, the more truth God will reveal to you through His Word. You respond to the light He's given you, He turns on more light. But then notice verse 10. He says to you, he's talking to His disciples at this particular moment in time, He says to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, as y'all see that in your Bible, say yes. But to the rest, it is in parables. So that seeing, they might not see. And hearing, they may not understand. Now, here we find a principle in the Gospels that will flat out get your attention. The parables which Jesus spoke to the crowds were actually given so that some people were unable to understand the truth. Now, taking into context of what's occurring in the Gospels and you get a better grasp on the idea, the people of Israel, the majority of them, who rejected Jesus. They would not allow their minds to think that he was a Messiah sent from God. And in this moment, they are rejecting the Lord God's Son. Therefore, listen, 
they would not receive Jesus, and now their judgment currently was to be unable to understand the Lord's teaching altogether. So Jesus turned the lights on for those who responded with faith, but he would turn the lights off for those who rebelled against his truth. Jesus turned the lights on, but he also would turn the lights off. How did he do that? By sharing in parables to the crowds so that hearing they could not hear, so that seeing they could not see. So the parables had a twofold purpose. They revealed more truth to those who had responded, but they would conceal the truth to those who had responded previously with rebellion. So they were both given to reveal and to conceal. It's as if Jesus is saying they wouldn't respond when I spoke to them plainly and explained it to them. So now I will speak to them in parables so they do not understand at all. They can hear but can't understand. They can watch but they can't really see. Y'all out there? It's interesting how this happens. So it bothers me as a preacher of the gospel that I would stand up and preach to a crowd like this. And I would encourage you who have not come to Christ that you need to come. But then some of you will continue to harden your heart and reject the truth and listen to the preacher. When you leave here, the darkness that you have known previously will be darker than ever before. See, God reserves the right to turn on the light or to turn it off. In fact, as you study, and I thought it was interesting, as you study um, Jesus's one of his sermons in Matthew 24, he basically was talking about the end times. Y'all look at me real quick. This is wild. And what he does is he says, hey, don't forget about the moon and the stars and the sun. And what he's doing is he's pointing to creation in the sky. Now, Paul the Apostle tells us in Romans chapter 1 that God's creation declares to us his invisible attributes. In other words, God's creation declares that there is a creator. So the lights, even in the sky, are just given to you and I, and that is God just saying, hey, I exist, right? And then he not only does that, but he comes in the person of Jesus, and, and Jesus is like, I'm the light of the world. Now, Matthew 24, Jesus said, here's how it's going to be in the end days. The sun will no longer shine, the moon will no longer give its light, and the stars will be removed from the heavens. So the light that is currently in the sky, even today, one day will be turned off by God. And what God is getting at is like this. You don't want to respond to the light? I'll turn it out. Are y'all hearing the preacher? And the Lord is going to do that. It is prophesied by Jesus in Matthew 24. It will happen. So what are you saying, preacher? Here's what I'm saying. Look at me. Let me sit down. Y'all listening? Here's what I'm saying. For some of you, the lights are on this morning. God created you to know him. He desires to have a relationship with you, but what separates you from God is sin. And sin, the Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. You hang on to your sin, you'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. But God graciously, I pray, is turning on the lights for some of you this morning. 
so that you can see that Jesus came and he bore your penalty of death in his own body on the cross. So God the Father treated Christ the Son as if he committed all of your sin and all of mine. He was buried and resurrected. He showed himself to over 500 people, 1 Corinthians 15. He ascended into the heavens, Acts chapter 1, and he is coming again. And listen, what you and I need to do is make sure that we have genuinely repented of our sin and placed our faith in Jesus. The light is on for some of you. In my words, you better respond while the light is shining. That's what Paul makes it out like, too, in Ephesians 2. He's like this. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. Talks about the fact how they could not see. He even says that we were in darkness, but then we were transferred to the marvelous light. Look at it. Look at it. I ain't trying to be dramatic. I'm just trying to say some of you are on the edge of hell. But you've been to church every Sunday. Can I give you a, let me give you a, let me give you two quotes. Two of them. Got them after I preached this the first service. Y'all all right? Say yeah. Charles Spurgeon quote sent to me by somebody. Once let a man know that hell is beneath his feet, and if that does not make him earnest, what would? The saddest road to hell is the one that runs under the pulpit, past the Bible, and through the middle of warnings and invitations. Jonathan Edwards says, there are some people who are standing on a thin casing over hell, not realizing that one more step will break it in. And you're like, well, good night. I need to make sure I'm saved. That's exactly right. The only way you can do that is come to Jesus. It's by grace you're saved through faith. No works of your own, man. If you've not come to Christ this morning, don't you leave here without coming to him. I beg you in Jesus' name. Let's bow together. Father, turn the lights on.